Where we left last week, Luke was telling us about this rogue preacher. And this rogue preacher did not belong to the temple. He did not belong to the government. He belonged to the wilderness. And in the middle of the wilderness, um, he kind of fits this Old Testament uh, facade, but became very real of, okay, this guy's in the wilderness. He's different. What is this about him? Is he a prophet? And he was a prophet, and he proved himself to be a prophet. So he was quite the remarkable anomaly, and for everybody here, his name was John the Baptist. Yes, so we've made it to John the Baptist in our journey through Luke now. And so people are flooding to hear this guy preach. I mean, they are flooding the place. But here's the kicker. In a world where it is super popular to flatter people, And it is very popular to avoid talking about sin and only to talk about love and tolerance and and all of those things. This brother was in no way, in no way controlled by desire to be popular. He was wild. He didn't care what anybody thought. I mean, he busted on the scene. And let let me just do this, all right? I thought about doing this, and I was like, no, if I do that, half the people are going to walk out. Uh, Which you may anyway, but that's cool. Um, I mean, not cool. I mean, we want you here, but... If, anyway, okay, you know what I'm saying. If I, if I walked in, I thought about coming in and just going, everybody that I'm looking at, you're a brood of vipers who deserve being burnt with fire. You'd probably walk out, right? You'd be like, oh my gosh. Right? That's what this guy's preaching. I mean, he is an anomaly. He is a remarkable anomaly. And so he comes in saying these type things, but nonetheless, people are coming to hear John the Baptist was freed, freed from offending others. And to say that is an understatement. He was bold. And so this is the type of guy that pops on the scene. This is who we're studying. Let me give you a summary of his message, and then we'll walk through where we've made it to in the text so far. All right? Here's a summary of his message. You're a bunch of snakes that are about to be burnt to a crisp, but you can be fruit-bearing trees instead. That's his message. Right? Like, like if, I walked, if, I, if I went to the elders and said, hey, here's my message, they would go, hey, you probably need a sabbatical. <laughs> You've got to take a little break here, back the bus up, what's going on? All right, but that's who this guy is. This is what he's saying, hence our sermon title today, from snakes to orchards. From snakes to orchards. So let's read the first half of John's sermon, and again... This is the first time that John has actually spoke. Everything else has been penned by Luke. And so let's hear the first half of John's message as penned by Luke um, together. So here we go. This is the first half, and then we'll get the second half in a second. We've made it to John, I mean Luke chapter 3. He said, therefore, to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers, who warns you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourself, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Right? This is the message. There's a lot in that first half. It'll pop on the screen as we go through it, as always, as we teach exegetically. We're trying to help you see how to walk through the text this way as well. It'll pop up on the screen as we go through if you're a note taker. First, he identifies the unbelievers. And how does he identify them? You're a brood of vipers. If you're wondering if maybe in this culture that was a compliment, it wasn't. (laughs) 
in any culture throughout history, that has never been a compliment to call somebody a brood of vipers. As a matter of fact, if I said that, Julie Beth would probably go, Troy, what? Listen, you, you need meds? Something? What are you doing? Okay, but this is, he identifies them, and he identifies them boldly. And it may not be a great way to win friends and get invited to the barbecue. That's for sure. But this was the message that the Lord gave him to preach and proclaimed, and so he proclaims it. In other words, what John does is he tells all the people coming to them that they are indeed sons of Satan, that they're the ones who strike at people's heels, that they are full of venom and they spit venom. That's, that's who he says they are in their sinfulness. And so he comes and he, he proclaims this, but don't miss John's heart. John's heart is this. He's horrified that people indeed are in Satan's grip. He's horrified by that. You see his heart in that? He's not just, if, like if you think about John the Baptist and you're like, that guy's kind of a punk, right? Um, and, and we can talk afterwards and we'll call him some other names outside of the sanctuary, right? You, you kind of go, he's kind of a putz. If you felt that about him, feel his heart. His heart is, listen, you're a brood of vipers. Satan's got you. And I love you enough to tell you that Satan's got you. Do you see the love in that? If there's a snake outside that door, and I don't tell you that if you walk out there, you're going to get struck by the heel. If I just go, that's okay, just keep walking, then I don't love you. And John loves them enough to tell them, you're in the grip. You're a bunch of snakes. And so that's how he begins his message. It's quite an opener, right? And then he gives the unbelievers hope. Number two, you brood of vipers, number two, who warns you? Who warns you? Now here's why I say that is hope. It's quite a miracle for a Jew, even to this day, to admit that they're under wrath. The reason being is because Jews are told all their life, and they are, they're God's covenant children. They're the chosen children of the Lord. And so they hear this over and over and over and ultimately buy into, okay, because I'm associated with this heritage, therefore I will be saved. I don't really have to do anything. And so he comes in and he says, listen, there is a hope, but the hope is who warned you? Are, are, are you receiving a warning? Now, I want to go into this in two different ways, all right? I'm not sure if, if John is angry or if he's amazed in this text. Before we go through it, if you think John is angry, raise your hand. If you think he's amazed, raise your hand. There's only four of you that raised your hands, guys. <laughs> like, that can't, it don't work like that, right? You, most of you are like, I don't know. Well, I, I don't know either, but let's walk through it together in, in both ways. If John is angry, then this is how this text sounds. Are you heeding the warning, or are you just doing another religious work to add to your badge of things that you hope will get you to eternity? Like, are you heeding a warning, or are you just coming out here because you think that that'll get you another Awana stamp, and you'll get a goody-goody-gum-drop at the end of the day. Is, is, is that why you're coming out here? And, and here's why I think he could, be, he could be angry. Because nothing, church, nothing is more offensive to God than works-based religion. Nothing. Nothing's more offensive. 
To think that I can go do something or prove something or earn something so that God will give his providential smile on me. If I, if I can just pull this off, then God will be happy with nothing is more offensive than that to the Lord. Why? Because it bypasses the sun. You don't need the sun. You do it, it's, it's offensive, works-based religion is. But also, nothing is more seductive to man than works-based religion. Nothing is more seductive. It will pack the pews quicker than anything else. It'll fill up the stadium. When you say things like this, well, if, if, if you'll just work on your family a little bit more, and we're going to talk for seven weeks about working on your family, then God will be happy with you. Everybody goes, well, I can, I can do that. I can work that out. Let me come hear more about that. Nothing packs the pews quicker than work it out. Works-based. But again, nothing is seductive. And so you're saying, wait a minute, Troy, hold up, hold up. You're telling me that these good people who have taken a day off, on their off day, who have gone to hear this preacher in the middle of the wilderness to seek after God, you're telling me that John's angry with that? And I would say, yeah. Because he knows their hearts are bent towards, I can do this on my own. I go to the temple, I give the alms, I go on the mission trip, I wear the robe, I wear the tassels. What is it? Go listen to this guy to make sure I got it? I'll do that too. Boom. Works, works, works. And none of it ultimately works. So John's furious at this because he knows that the Christ is the only thing that can save. But we'll get to it in a second. Religion is man's effort to please God by piety and works. That's what religion is. Which ultimately ends in pride and self-glory. I'm going to prove to God that I'm good enough with my piety. It's wrapped in what we do. That's what religion is. Religion is, well, if I lead the community group, if I give it my best... Church, performance sells big. Performance sells. And this is why I warn you, anytime I hear it, especially in our community, anytime I hear it, it's why I try to expose it. When somebody says salvation is when you make God first in everything in your life, that's works-based. The gospel says... You'll never make God first in everything in your life. But who did? Christ did. Trust in Him. It's subtle. It's seductive. And if we're not careful, we'll buy into that. And we'll, we'll find ourselves not worshiping Christ, but we'll find ourselves religious. And do the religious works. Christianity is not man's effort to please God. Christianity is God's gift of grace through the person and work of Jesus Christ. That's Christianity. That's a big difference in those two things. That ultimately ends not in pride. That ends in faith and worship. All I can do is worship that. I can't pull off what he did, and I wouldn't pull off what he did. I worship him. It's not wrapped in what we do. Christianity is wrapped in what Christ has done. And that's the big difference. My role is to find conviction 
and confession and to repent, which is ultimately where he goes. And then to respond. Religion is attainable rules and the love of tradition, which results in the hope of achievement. This is why it sells. I'm just going to be honest with you. Religion sells to people who love to perform. Like it sells big. Because it's all about looking around and trying to figure out how to be better than the person to your right or your left. That's what religion does. Which another example is when somebody says, (laughs) Why would God give you a big ministry like mine when you can't keep the floorboard of your car clean? (laughs) That's gross. That's religion. God will bless you. When you can prove to him that you can keep the floorboard of your car clean. Vomit. That's gross. Christianity says you won't keep the floorboard of your car clean enough. But Christ did. Trust in him. That's the big difference. Christianity is the substitutionary righteousness of Christ which results not in your hope of achievement, but in Christ's implanted alien righteousness on your behalf. That's grace. That's the good news. So if you've heard religion all your life, and heard do's and don'ts, and you've thought to yourself, that don't sound like good news. You haven't heard the gospel. And hopefully today you're hearing the hope of Christ. That he's sufficient even when you're not because you won't be sufficient. That's the hope. That's the hope, church. It's all about looking inward and realizing our only hope is the one who died and rose again that we've just sung about. All right. That's if he's angry. I do think he could also be amazed. And what I mean by this is if John sounds amazed, or, or if, if this text is him being amazed, who warns you, then this is what it would sound like. <laughs> well, would you look at that? God's drawing even the hearts of those snakes. I'm stunned. That to me makes a lot of sense. Because if I read this text, I don't ever identify with John the Baptist. You know who I identify with? Them brood of snakes. Like, I don't get John the Baptist, but the brood of snakes I get. And it could be him going, who, who warned you? Did God really warn even you? I'm stunned. And this is where I think the amazement could come in. Christ says it this way in John six forty four: No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And the cool thing about what's going on in this room right now is there's a lot of people who are believers, and that is resonating with you. Like in your heart right now, you're going, yeah, I cannot believe that God drew me to understand the hope of Christ. Anyone? It's stunning. All right, so let's do another vote. Who thinks John's angry? Raise your hand. All right. Who thinks John's amazed? Raise your hand. All right, all y'all sorry suckers not willing to raise your hands. You're the brood of vipers. (laughs) All right, so here we go. He identifies the unbelievers. He identifies the unbelievers' hope that you could receive this warning. And then he goes to the unbelievers' action 
to flee. You brood of vipers, who warns you to flee? An escape exists from God's wrath that's locked on humanity. And that is that we flee. We intentionally flee. Now, what, does, what, do I, what, do I flee, what do I mean by flee intentionally? Specifically, they're running towards repentance and forgiveness. That's what we studied last week. That was the message. The pathway to forgiveness is repentance. And so we, we run down that pathway. And so um, a, a friend of mine was building a house up the road here not too long ago. And he was cutting down trees and preparing the, the homeland. And as he's, he's cutting down the trees, he discovers a den of snakes and... Like, all the people, most people are creeped out now. Um, They need to go right back to hell where they came from. Um, And not the people building the house, the snakes. The snakes. So they they cut down and and, and uncovered it. And he said, Troy, he said, as soon as it popped open, those snakes just scattered everywhere. Just, they just scattered, right? And so John's looking at him and he's going, you're not just scattering to just go be snakes elsewhere. He says, what I'm hopeful is that you're fleeing. You're scattering, but you're running towards something, and that something that you're intentionally going to is repentance. That's what you need. Good job. So this word flee, I think, is him applauding them in heading this way. What is intentional fleeing? What is the hopeful action that we can have that brings us out of being snakes? It's worth repeating, and it's the threefold nature of repentance. And man, I would love to have dinner with you. Uh, we would love to feed you lunch, breakfast, coffee, whatever. Please hit me up. We could talk about this more. The threefold nature of intentional fleeing, what takes us from being snakes and turns us into orchards. Number one, they were turning from Christless reliance. They had trusted in something for salvation that was apart from Christ. They had trusted in their heritage, their Judaistic heritage. And he says, you're fleeing from that, and that's what repentance is. Repentance is that we turn from relying on anything other than Christ to save us. Okay? Jews, your parents, your baptism. You were the Sunday school warrior, and you go, i got to be saved. I was the Sunday school warrior. I prayed the prayer. I prayed the prayer. That has to get me in. That's all reliance on things other than Christ, right? The prayer is a great way to outwardly respond, but the prayer never accomplished. There is no magic prayer, which is why if you're like me growing up, I prayed the prayer seven billion times. Anybody, you're laughing because you did it too. Every night I'd lay my head down and go, all right, this one is going to take. <laughs> Which is probably why I'm bald. Because I prayed this prayer so many times. Yeah, Randall, you, amen. It's, it's like, okay, this one's going to get it. This one's, there is no magic prayer. But the moment that I went, whoa. The moment that something awoke in my heart to go, whoa, Christ alone is sufficient to save is the moment that I went, oh, it's not about the prayer. (laughs) I'm freed in Jesus. I'm freed through his work. Repentance is that, which sounds strange to some of you because you've always heard this phrase, to be saved, you need to repent of your sin. Homework. Go find that in the Bible anywhere. You won't find it. 
you'll never find that phrase, repent of your sin. You'll find the phrase, repent and confess your sin unto righteousness. It starts with identifying I'm not trusting in anything else other than Christ and ultimately that will lead to the confession of sin. That's where it fleshes itself out. So what is intentional fleeing? I turn to Christ and Christ alone. Number two, so I turn from Christless reliance and turn to Christ-earned mercy. I turn to the fact that God in scandalous grace in the gospel, takes everything that Christ earned and put in Christ's bank account. And he says, because you trust in my son, I'm going to take everything he earned and transfer it to your bankrupt account. That's good news, church. That's the gospel. That he takes his holiness and replaces my scandal. That he takes his sinlessness and covers my sin. That he takes his righteousness and puts in the place of my yuck. (laughs) My yuck. That's repentance. I turn from trusting anything else, turn to Christ and Christ only, and then number three, I turn often and always. Repentance is not a one-time thing. It's, it's not. And a lot of you have lack of assurance of faith because you're trusting in that one moment, November 19th, 1995, that I walked the aisle. That was the moment that I repented. It's a great moment. But the question is not... Did you do it once? Did you turn to Christ once? The question is, are you turning to Christ every day? That's the hope. Yes, absolutely. The the miracle of salvation happens in a moment. But the sanctification part of salvation is that it continues on forever. I just keep calling out every day. Lord, I trust today. I'm believing today. I'm hanging out today. It's not that I'm re-praying. It is... Today, I am standing secure in the finished work of Christ because I will never finish the work myself. So when life stinks, I'm trying to be better. Julie Beth got on to me for saying a word the other day. She didn't find appropriate, so I'm doing better. All right. When life stinks, that I go, but Christ doesn't. And I'm secure in his work. That's the hope of the gospel. So unbelievers' action is to do this. And for those who flee in that action, turning from Christless reliance, turning to Christ-earned mercy, turning often and always, (laughs) there is therefore now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Amen. No condemnation. So when Satan says, but, 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 you go, "Mm mm-mm, shut it. Zip it. Like you can do that, do that to Satan, right? Zip it. <laughs> and I think he'll be like, what was that? <laughs> you weirdo. You say there is therefore now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. That's the hope of the gospel. And then number four. You're like, man, that is a lot in seven words. 
Just a couple more words. All right. Identifies unbelievers. Their hope is that they are warned and they received it. Unbelievers action. They flee. And then from what? From the unbeliever's judgment. To flee from the wrath to come. And don't begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. Don't begin to say to yourself, but I'm okay because I went to church. I gave the money. I did the thing. For I tell you, God can raise up stones to do that. He can make a rock sing to him. He's not after your actions. He's after your your heart. Your heart. You love him more than the actions. And man, I love to sing. I love it. I love it. As a matter of fact, Andrew tells me all the time, Troy, you're going to have to stop singing so loud because you're out of pitch tune. It's messing me up. <laughs> and then I say, it's a joyful noise, brother. It's a joyful noise. Right? And he says, yeah, it's a joyful noise. But anyway, all right. So um, the point is this. Judgment's real, church. It's real. And if you're in this room going, ah, that's a fairy tale. It's not. It's real. God will rain down judgment on Satan and his allies. It's going to happen. And Paul proclaims it. I mean, Paul. Paul does too, but John in this text. <laughs> and it doesn't matter if you're one of the enemy's allies blatantly or just unaware. By blatantly, I mean, I want to live for me and I don't care what God thinks. That's blatant ally of the enemy. But you could also be a delusional ally. Maybe you're going, yeah, yeah, but I'm, I'm one of Abraham's kids. You're delusional. You've bought into the lie that it's something other than Christ. It doesn't matter. Religious heritage is no guarantee of salvation. It does not matter where your papa and your mama sat in church. It doesn't matter if they had the little placard on the side. We need some placards. Squirrel, Johnny. It doesn't matter. Like, like none of that matters. The only thing that matters is, are you trusting in Christ? But also, the beauty of this text is also a non-religious heritage is no hindrance from salvation either. Maybe you go, I don't have a hope because my papa and mama didn't take me to church. You got Jesus and that's all you need. It doesn't matter how you were raised or what happened or all the things or whatever. It's you. Are you trusting in the finished work of Christ? There's hope for you. There's hope for you. So at this point... The passage is clear. Heaven and hell are both a reality, very eternal, and all of it depends on how one responds to Christ. So at this point, Dan pointed this out. It's so good. Um, And I'll read it and then we'll keep going. John, for those who are still tracking contextually, John's fully embraced the prophecy that was spoken of him 400 years ago. He's fully embraced it at this point. He's quoting Malachi chapter 4 in this text. He's owned it for himself, which says this. And again, Dan pushed me to see this, and I think he's so right, and I think it's worthy of reading it aloud. Malachi chapter 4. Again, if you haven't been with us, 400 years before this had been prophesied that this was going to take place, and then God went deathly silent. No words had been spoken. John busts on the scene, and he fulfills this prophecy 400 years later. The prophecy was, for behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and evil, all the evildoers, 
this guy, will be stubble. That day is coming and shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will uh, leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings, and you shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. (laughs) Oh, praise the Lord. From snakes to orchards, the transition has occurred. All right, let's do this real quick, and then we'll close it up. There's three people in the room right now. Three types of people in the room. You're one of these. Number one, there's some of you who are eerily unsettled right now. You're in a safe place. You're safe here. Nobody here is going to say, how dare you, who are you? You are in a safe place, okay? But you're eerily unsettled. And you think relying on on Christ alone for your salvation and nothing that you do is absurd. He knew that you would think that. Which is why the text says Christ became a stumbling block to those trying to earn their own salvation. But a cornerstone to those trusting in him. I'm just praying, man, if you're eerily unsettled, that Christ would overcome you today. That you would see, I can only be saved through that scandalous substitution of Christ. I pray that for you today. Number two, there are some of y'all who are mysteriously energized right now. You're like, man, that text is so good. And then the person who's eerily unsettled is like, He just read and said that you're a bunch of brood of vipers. But oddly in your soul right now, you're going, yes, I am, but Jesus. Like you're feeling it, like it's churning up in you. That's the number two group in this room. You know that your only hope is Christ and he's all you got. And you're like, yes, (laughs) that is my only hope. Amen. Yes. And then number three, there's some of you who are moving from eerily unsettled to mysteriously energized, and that's the miracle of salvation that's occurring through the power of the Holy Spirit. Hey, we're with you. Let somebody know. Let somebody know today. I don't know. Billy, we got any water in that thing? We'll dunk them today. Is it drained out? Nah, we'll give you a dry baptism. No, I'm just kidding. We wouldn't do that. That's not biblical. You know, whatever. But nonetheless, let somebody know. If you're moving in that way, let somebody know. All right. Now, church, y'all ready for the second half? And by second half, I promise you it will be way shorter. You're like, oh, crud. (laughs) I don't know if I can handle. (laughs) Right? What's he going to say? I'm a scorpion now? You know what? All right, here we go. Let's read the second half and wrap it up. Even now, the axe is laid to the root of the trees, which is why I think Dan's spot on. John is quoting Malachi. He's owning it going, I am that prophet prophesied 400 years earlier. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees, and every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruits, cut down and thrown into the fire. And the crowds ask him, what then shall we do? And he answered them, whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none, and whoever has food is to do likewise. The tax collectors also came to be baptized by him and said, teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, collect no more than you're authorized to do. And then the soldiers also asked him, 
And we, what shall we do? And he said to them, do not extort money from anyone by threats of false accusation and be content with your wages. And so we conclude with number five, the believer's miracle. The believer's miracle. An internal heart change can indeed blossom into external orchard of luscious fruit that is pleasing to the Father. It can happen. And it does happen all the time. So it doesn't matter if John spoke in anger or amazement, it worked. They realized they needed something other than themselves. It worked because they're asking the question, did you catch it? The crowds ask, what do we do? The tax collectors ask, what do we do? The soldiers ask, what do we do? In other words, they saw that they had done a lot of works but not repented. And they knew, all right, (laughs) this is evidenced by my lack of fruit. What do I do? You got me. I'm here for repentance. Now what do I do? They moved along. And I'm going to admit that his answer shocks me. And I would love to hear your thoughts on this. Please let me know. His answer blows me away. All right? His response is not spiritual. In other words, they go, what do we do? And he does not say, well, you need to trust in the Christ that's about to walk down that hill to be baptized that Johnny's going to preach next week. He, he, doesn't, they, he don't do that. Like, you would think that's what he would do, right? What do we do? Well, you trust in that guy. He doesn't do that at all. But his answer is also not devotional. In other words, he didn't say, they go, what do we do? And he says, well, you need to go memorize the book of Proverbs. Study it every morning, journal it, and then you'll know that you've done He doesn't do that. His response at this point is ethical. Here's what you do. Treat others like they need the grace that you have received through Christ. Treat others differently. It's bizarre. Now, I want to be clear. As we noted last week, John's baptism could not save anyone. It it had no authority to save because it wasn't rooted in Christ. It did lead towards repentance, which was the pathway to Christ, but he didn't take it to the full extent of Christ. So it didn't have the power to save, but Christ will fix this next week. Okay? Be here for Johnny. He's a way better preacher than I am. It's incredible. And the text is not a brood of vipers either. So I get the brood of vipers and he's going to get Jesus' baptism. That is garbage, right? That is, so anyway, be here for that as well. Nonetheless, believers miraculously do turn from hating to share to being generous. Believers miraculously turn in Christ from hoarding everything to giving to others and to the Lord. Believers miraculously affirm with Christ that it is more blessed to give than to receive. Something happens. The internal turns external. And through the Holy Spirit, John has shown us today three things. Our authenticity of Christianity is validated by how we treat others and stuff. It is validated by that. Everything he mentioned has to deal with money and stuff. Small groups, if y'all don't talk about that, man, you are missing something. That's what he said. What do we do? What do you think about money and what do you think about stuff? Where's your heart? Right? That's one. Number two, we saw that repentance is the pathway to the Messiah. We repent. That's the fleeing, intentional fleeing. And then number three, oh yes and yes. 
snakes can indeed become orchards. Got any snakes in this room that's stunned that you've been made an orchard? Yeah. Me too. Christ alone. The hope of glory. Band's going to come back up. We sang graves into gardens just a minute ago. I told you. He takes graves and turns them into gardens. And so now, Andrew, Britt, Colin, Jordan, we need a song called Snakes to Orchards. It's a new one. It's a new one. It'll probably sell one album. (laughs) Unbelievers in this room. Here's the bad news. Judgment's coming. And you're a brood of vipers. And we love you enough to tell you that. But unbelievers, here's the good news. You are in a room full of former vipers. Like y'all wouldn't raise your hand a minute ago. But if you're like, yes, that is me, a snake that does not deserve to be loved by Jesus, raise your hand. Yeah. Like, you're in a safe spot. You're not going to find in this church anybody holier than thou. You're going to try to, you're going to find a bunch of people con- trying to compete for who's the worst. <laughs> Probably sometimes to our detriment. That is a whole other story for another day. But unbeliever, hear me clear. Today can be the day of salvation. Tell them, Amanda. <laughs> Today. You can confess your sin. You can believe Christ is sufficient. You can trust in him. And you can receive the fullness of his righteousness on your behalf today. Today. You can do that today. That's on you. Believer, I don't have anything but good news for you. A miracle has occurred in us by the Father's drawing, the Son's work, and the application of the Holy Spirit. You are freed to carve out ways to serve the least of these and expect nothing in return. You are freed to give to the Lord your time, energy, and yes, your finances in an act of worship. You are freed to sing this next song and be stunned that a miracle has occurred in you. Let's pray together. Jesus, thanks for this text. Thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit, but most importantly, thank you for Jesus.